but I, I started using alcohol just like I used crack, just like I smoked weed, just like I took Xanax, exactly the same way. So like what I figured out was like, and what I've learned is my problems weren't the drugs or alcohol, it was me. I never liked feeling how I felt because either I was socially awkward, anxious inside, not feeling adequate, maybe being insecure, whatever it was, these things made me not feel that. So it was always just me not trying to feel. Welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast with host Teddy Tarantino. New episodes every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Don't forget to subscribe. All right, welcome to Hell Has an Exit. I'm your host, and today, today I have, do you go by Dave or David? David. David, that's what I hate thought. Hate Dave. You hate Dave. That's yeah. like, when you're like Dr. Barry, it's like, oh, Dave? I was like, who calls you Dave? Yeah. 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 David P. David P. Florida native. Mm-hmm. You're a Cooper City kid? I grew up in Pembroke Pines. Okay. Pembroke Pines. Mm-hmm. Where'd you go to high school? I went to a few high schools. So I, went, I started at Flanagan mm-hmm. to, at their freshman site, the Annex. And then I went to Hollywood Christian mm-hmm. for baseball because I, I played in the Seminole Reservation area, their travel team. And then got recruited to go to American Heritage. So I graduated from American Heritage and uh, mm-hmm. Plantation. Nice. What was growing up like? Growing up was easy. I had a, you know, middle class, maybe upper middle class. Uh, Parents were together. They got divorced when I was nine. Took that really hard. Hmm. Like I wanted them to be back together so bad. It was like, I felt like um, separated from all the other kids in school that their parents Hmm. were together. I was like so jealous of anybody whose parents were like together. But then as you get older, everybody's parents were like splitting up. So I was like, I was like more of the majority. Um, played a lot of baseball, started to get really good at baseball. Sister. Okay. So I have a sister that's like from my mom and dad and I have a few other, I have Mm -hmm. two half brothers and a half sister from my dad. Mm -hmm. Um, not very close with the half brothers or not close at all with the half sister. So Mm -hmm. me and my sister are very tight. So my blood sister, like from same mom and dad, Mm -hmm. very, very, very close. She's one year younger than me. Okay, so you started playing baseball. Started playing baseball. Um, wasn't very, not to say it was bad, but I wasn't very good in the beginning. I played it like Little League where there was like real political and I always felt like not good enough. Mm-hmm. Like, so I, like now I know what I'm going through. I was like, I was probably like, I felt a lot of these like things mm-hmm. really young. Um, and then I started getting really good. And I remember like getting like bullied a little bit by some baseball, like by in the baseball world, cause maybe mm-hmm. I didn't have enough power or wasn't like whatever. Bullied by good. other kids or coaches? Kid, kids. kids okay. I remember one kid saying, Dave, you can't even get it out of the infield. And that's mm-hmm. st- like, I'm telling you about it to now at 38. So clearly <laughs> I remember, I remember. <laughs> so said, Dave, you can't even get it out of the infield. Yeah. And that shit stayed with me till today, mm-hmm. you know? So I remember like crying to my dad and he goes, David, you just keep plugging away and you're going to surpass all these kids. My dad would have just laughed with the other kid. I know. <laughs> but my dad was like sensitive. My dad awesome. had that like soft side. Uh-huh. Um, so once I made that switch and got out of the optimist world of all the political like daddy ball. And yeah. now I got a travel team where the coach has no kid on the team. And it's like whoever's the best is going to play. That's when I really started to develop. I became the best player on that mm-hmm. team was like scouted by all the best player on the team yeah what position so i played third base was Mm -hmm. like my spot and then i became a pitcher okay and then pitching is what eventually what i was my go-to thing so i was at hollywood christian Mm -hmm. doing well there small school 
hundred kids in the school. Like in the high school, there was like maybe 150 kids, like 50 kids per class. Mm -hmm. Like the graduating class was like 60 kids, right? Super small. Um, and then my junior year, I threw a no hitter against American heritage when they thought I was nobody. Mm -hmm. And long story short, I ended up going there my senior year. Mm -hmm. Me and my sister got to go there. Once I went to American heritage, before I had even played a game in the season, I had got a, a full scholarship to University of New Orleans, Division One. At what age? What? 17. So my senior, senior year of high year. school, okay. before the senior season started, I already had a scholarship. So I knew I was going into that wow. season as a D1 signing college athlete. I had no pressure. Mm -hmm. The pressure was off. So at 17, what is your social life like? Are you super cool? Are you just a really good athlete? Are you like cocky? Are you shy? I'm a little shy. But conf if, if it mm -hmm. makes sense, I was socially shy, but confident, mm -hmm. right? I wouldn't just go talk to anybody, but I was, you know, popular kid, mm -hmm. always had a girlfriend. Um, no drugs or anything like that? So I think it was my sophomore year, my, my next door neighbor, my best friend who went to a completely different school, a non-athlete. Smoking some marijuana? Lots of marijuana. <laughs> that shit took off quick, yeah. smoking weed. Like you really, so you smoked a lot, smoked a lot. We're like, you know, four or five blunts a day at like 16, like right away and killing it in sports and killing it at sports. And I almost got to the point where I was like, I do better at sports when I'm high. Uh, yeah. You know? So, yeah. So, and then when I got to American heritage, it's all the rich kids. Mm -hmm. I remember one kid was like, Dave, you pay for weed. Oh, dude, you never have to pay for weed again. I got you. I was like, really? I am in the spot. This is he where he's gonna get. He got it from. Where did he get it from? Dude, he found out the the code to his dad's safe. Oh wow! And the dad had like Northern Lights, like the mm -hmm. highest grade, potent, chronic. Okay, around. I haven't heard Northern Lights in a while. I remember. So I remember, like back in my day, mm -hmm. there was real strands of like now. It's just exotic, and they have strands because it's like grown so exotic. But getting really fire bud in high school was like a big deal. There was only a couple of people at each high school. That actually had like real AK forty seven, yeah, real. Be like they had Northern crippy. lights, like, yeah. Oh, you're crippy. You're it was like, just oh, no trash. seeds in it, so yeah, you figured if there was trash. no seeds, you're like, okay, yeah, it's more expensive than regs, mm -hmm. you know. And I would Google it, and it would look just like the picture. I'm like, dude, that's AK forty seven. Yeah, this was that Northern, Northern lights. lights. The dad was a successful financial was a little lighter advisor. green, fluffy, really crystal. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm telling, like frosted. Yeah. And he ha he figured out the code to his dad's safe, and his dad would just have like jars of weed in the safe that he would just cuff. Mm -hmm. His dad was a heavy smoker, so he just able to. His dad never knew, mm -hmm. and so it was just like the best. I remember bringing my friends that didn't go to that mm -hmm. school, and they'd be like, "Yo, this is the fuck. <laughs> you found the plug, mm -hmm. like you have arrived." Mm -hmm. um, and I remember like one of our rivals at American Heritage was Key West High School, mm -hmm. and they're four hours away. You go all the way down to the bottom to fight them or to, <laughs> to fight them to play them. Yeah, play them. it was like a fight because Key West. Anybody who knows how Key West locals are, they're vicious. Crazy. They'd be throwing batteries and talking shit to no. us while we're playing, dude. The throwing batteries at the outfield. No, I swear to God. And <laughs> and the our parents would almost be ready to fight their parents. And there's 300 of them and 15 of our parents because you know mm -hmm. we just only some not every parent could go. go four hours down to the game. Um, but I remember on one of these trips to Key West, we had to leave at like six in the morning, mm -hmm. you know, to be there and like eat and be like acclimated with the area. And the kid with the weed, he was on the baseball team mm -hmm. and he goes, oh, I got a Xanax. I had never taken Xanax, mm. took the Xanax. I literally fell asleep the entire trip, right? Knockout. Like the four hour drive. The four hour drive. 
and we're in a coach bus, like a nice, it's American Heritage, it's a nice fucking bus. I pass out. I think I slept on the floor. And I wake up and I'm just kind of like, how the fuck did we get here? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was awesome. I felt good too, right? Had the game of my life. You didn't feel groggy? I didn't really bit, know what yeah. groggy was at 17. <laughs> I was ready to go. Um, ready to go. That was my first introduction to Xanax. And I really like, later on found out that Xanax was like the root of all problems. Mm-hmm. The root of me at least getting caught with getting in trouble. Like I had smoked a million days of my life every day. No unmanageability. No unmanageability. Never been arrested. Never caused anything. Maybe stress between my mom. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to drug test you. Like, mm-hmm. you're going to be grounded. And I figured out a way to, like, hustle my mom, like, mm-hmm. quick. Like, hiding, like, pee in a Visine bottle because she would mm-hmm. drug test me. And I'd always have it, like, ready to fake the test. Mm-hmm. Always having Visine in every corner of every, mm-hmm. everywhere. Ozium to, like, spray the car down because I knew she was going to search my car. Mm-hmm. You know, like, always had very, very early I learned how to, like, manipulate and hide. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, to, and I had to lie. Like, mm-hmm. I became a professional liar. Mm-hmm. Like, I even lie till this day when I don't have to. Yeah, it doesn't even benefit you. It's just, there, it's just I'm so, I'm a habitual liar that it's mm-hmm. just like, they're, they're stupid. And mm-hmm. they end up getting me in trouble for no reason, mm-hmm. you know? I do it still. Um, but, so baseball was good. I, I ended up going to New Orleans. And it was a rude awakening because I'm used mm-hmm. to being like, the man. These are grown-ass men. I hadn't even grown facial hair yet. These dudes are like, have kids running a landscaping business and going to college and playing baseball. Wow. And I'm like, my mom gave me a shoebox <laughs> full of money and some blank checks. And, you know, like I came in my brand new car and like it was just a rude awakening and I got homesick. Like I didn't, I never knew that, I didn't think that would happen. And I didn't know what homesick really was. And I didn't mm-hmm. like it because I wasn't the man. Mm-hmm. I was just like, a, I, here I was like the wheel. There I was like the spoke. Mm. Like I was just, just somebody. I was a nobody, mm-hmm. you know? And I got arrested, right? So I liked stealing shit, was like really thrilled. It was Are like, you doing a lot of Xanax now or more? No, I'm not really even doing oh, okay. it at all yet. Okay. Handful of times. Mm-hmm. Nothing crazy. But I, re- I figured out that- You like stealing? Yeah, <laughs> I did. It, like, it started with getting like smoking a blunt and not wanting to go into like the $20 I had for the day. You know, like $10 had to go towards the bag of weed. Mm. $5 had to go towards Dutch's and gas money for my buddy to drive around all day. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to, I wanted to bring the $5 to carry that over to the next day to get better weed, you know? So I'd go into a gas station and pay for like a Snapple, mm-hmm. but like have a pocket full of like fucking sour mm-hmm. gummies and now and laters, I, you know, all, any type of fruity sour candy, my pockets were full, you know, stealing Visine because that's mm-hmm. expensive, right? And I had to have that. I was a big Roto guy. Roto's good. But my favorite was the NAFCON. I've never had that. I've had Lumif- Lumify. Mm-hmm. You ever had Lumify? It's like $19 for a yeah. bottle. And it gets your eyes so white that it looks I remember like- just being like, I just want the most expensive one. There was like NAFCON A. And NAFCON was just like, whatever. So but- Roto, I mm-hmm. liked it because it had that like icy. And it just like, <laughs> it like the, the red was gone. You know, it's like fucking ripping the, white, the red out of your eye. Yeah. But- so I got arrested for shoplifting at a Dillard's, okay? And, and it's crazy because I had all the money in the world. Not all the money in the world. Enough to but not But enough steal. to buy a Sean John shirt. And what happened Man, was... those Sean John shirts were fire. Dude, though. it was like 30 bucks. I love Sean John. I, I loved it too. I only wore Sean John and Echo for like, from like sixth grade. To I wore grade. Echo, Sean John, Academics, Mecca. Mecca. That was my, I was like into hip hop. So mm-hmm. that's how I dressed. Carl Kanai jeans, like baggy, mm-hmm. 
Jordans. Did you ever go to the Kenneth David store? No. There's a store at Sawgrass Mills Mall where you'd go to Kenneth David's like real. I'm sure I have been there. I remember I had like a fake Burberry uh-huh. matching outfit. Yeah, that was the best. That sounds fire. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I I see a shirt without the ink mm-hmm. cartridge on it, and I'm like, oh, that's fucking going into the bag. Because I remember I had a girlfriend when I was like 16 who was like into stealing, and mm-hmm. I saw her do it, so it was like imprinted in my mind mm-hmm. that you could get away with it. Mm-hmm. So when I saw the no ink tag on there, I put it in my bag, and I heard in like security to the second floor, mm-hmm. and I spooked me out. I put the shirt back the shirt back security takes me into the back they looked in my bags everything's paid for everything was accounted for but they were able to pull the tape back and in in louisiana it's the law of concealment so if you put it away like with the attempt to steal you don't even have to walk out like Mm. in florida you actually have to walk out with the shit Mm -hmm. to get charged or Mm -hmm. like to be in trouble interesting there you just conceal it like you putting it away like away from like the public eye yeah put it in a bag type of thing so they press charges they didn't let me go. And are you pleading like, sir, please? Yeah, yeah, please, please, please. I'm just, I'm from here from Florida. I'm a baseball player at University <laughs> of New Orleans. Like, please, you know, like I'll do whatever you, it takes. I'll pay for it. Mm-hmm. Please, everything here is paid for. Like, you know, pleading and begging. Obviously, I'm not just like, fuck the cops, bro. Arrest me. <laughs> you know, I do not want to go to jail. Mm-hmm. Um, my my coach got me off. My parents or everybody was disappointed. I had never been arrested, right? So. After, like, you know, you're trying to make the travel team in college, like, to where you get to travel with the team and play in the real games. Mm-hmm. They decide they want to redshirt me. So I got a lot of growing up to do. Like, the arrest didn't help. Because I did really, really well. Mm-hmm. The arrest didn't help. You know, like, I, I was immature. I, I was 17 getting there. I, was, I graduated okay. at 17 because I was, like, the, my birthday's in July. Mm-hmm. So I was, like, really young to graduate. Like, I graduated at 17. I was, like, the youngest guy on the team. Mm-hmm. Immature, for sure. So I called my coach from high school and told him the deal. And he was coaching at BCC, Broward mm-hmm. Community College. And I redshirted and transferred in them. Uh, they wanted, no, so they red wanted to redshirt like- me. So they wanted to redshirt me, which is where like I sit the year out, but I still have that year of eligibility. So I go mm-hmm. into the year as a sophomore the next year, like in the classroom, I'm a sophomore. Mm-hmm. But on the baseball field, I'm a freshman. So mm-hmm. I still have that year of eligibility. So I still have my four years. It doesn't take away. Mm-hmm. You get that. You get a year of, to redshirt for that, and you get a year to redshirt medically, like if you're hurt or if you get an injury. Like you shouldn't mm-hmm. be penalized and lose a year of playing. Mm-hmm. You know, so why would someone be able to play four years if college is only four years? Hmm? How would you play four years if college is only four years and you redshirt your first year? You would just be in school. You would stay there. You would take some classes, extra classes, or whatever. and what you would do is, if you knew you're going to be there for the five years, you kind of spread it out. You don't take such a, a crazy gotcha. workload. Okay, okay. You kind of spread it out. Yeah. You do like just enough to be eligible, but like you don't mm-hmm. like take five or six classes a semester. You take like four mm-hmm. and pace it out. Mm-hmm. So, I it was a big ego hit. I thought I was going to be like a starter, traveling with the team everywhere, mm-hmm. and they're like, "We want to redshirt you," which is like the complete opposite mm-hmm. of being a go-to guy. So that was an ego bruise. How is your, uh, how good were you compared to the other team, uh, the other people on the team? In my head, I thought I was really fucking good, but so, maybe I was just like, they, they mean they offered me the same 100% scholarship mm-hmm. to okay. come back. Mm-hmm. So they saw a future and they, they gave me an analogy. There was this kid on the team named Thomas Diamond, who was the 10th pick of the draft, mm-hmm. who was on that team who threw 100 miles an hour. The real deal. Like there was 15 scouts at every practice. Mm-hmm. This guy was the, the real deal. And they said his freshman year, he only got like 15, 20 innings that were like nothing. Mm-hmm. That's like nothing in a big season of like 50 games, right? They're like, if we could go back, we would have redshirted him to like 
have them that extra year. Mm. So they gave me a good analogy. They weren't rough about it. They're like, mm-hmm. we see a future in you. We're going to offer you the same scholarship. And they gave me the analogy to the, the stud. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wasn't having it. You know what's funny is? I was wearing a red polo that day. And they're like, we're going to red shirt you. And I was wearing a red shirt. Mm-hmm. It was just so like, <laughs> when I look back at it, called my coach, this guy, uh, my, my pitching coach, Flip, who... Um, he coached me at American Heritage. Me and him had a big bond. He told the B- he was the pitching coach at BCC. Now I got in there, and mm-hmm. man, I was able to like get right into the pitching staff and had success right away. And then, wait, you left that? College? I left the school. I transferred midseason. I left. Go play where? Broward Community College. Why would you do that? Well, people have this like notion that junior college is like less. Mm-hmm. Not the case. They have a good, fucking amazing. 17 kids on my team got drafted to play in the pros. Wow. They probably could have competed against the New Orleans team. Wow. Like Miami-Dade Community College were like our rivals. Mm -hmm. This is like Mike Piazza. Like like Mm -hmm. these guys, they're shelling out pros, junior colleges. Junior colleges still play regular colleges? No. You might scrimmage them for fun in the preseason. But they still turn out pros? More so than... Sometimes the big Division One, like Crazy. huge universities. Why is that? I don't know. It was more popular back then. It's because you could, major league teams could do what's called a draft and follow, where you get drafted and they draft you. And then you still, they still go let you play in junior college. And then at the end of that year, you're eligible to go into the pros. If you go to a university, you're locked away for three years or until you're 21. Mm-hmm. Like you can't go right to the pros. Now you're like locked in and you're committed to mm-hmm. college life. You know, so it was a way to like get there faster. Yeah, and it was a way for like the major league team to watch your progression, but still not have to pay you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so I was doing well. I was arguably the number one or the number two starter in the pitching rotation, which is a really good pitching rotation. This mm-hmm. is like a good fucking team. And um, spring break comes around, and now I'm starting to take Xanax. Me and my best friend. I don't want to say his name. Me and my best friend. We just fuck. I learned that taking a Xanax with alcohol and smoking weed was like, that was my ultimate combination. And remember I was saying in the beginning that I was like shy? Mm-hmm. Xanax took away all that shyness. Mm-hmm. Take away every inhibition. So if I'm in a store and I normally would be like, I, I'm like, I'm, I, I want that, I'm taking it. Or if I'd be at a bar and I saw like a cuter girl that I like would normally like not have the balls to go say hello to, it'd be go easy to go say hello, mm-hmm. you know? But I look back, I was probably super sloppy, slow motion. But I thought I was like slick as all could be. Mm -hmm. Um, So we go into spring break and we all go out that night and popping Xanax the whole night. And I'm in a blackout and, dude, I start breaking in. So the the school paid for like the team to to live in like a local apartment complex. Mm -hmm. And it was like the baseball apartment. And I lived there because my mom didn't want me at home because... She couldn't, my mom was like, you got to be home by 11 o'clock every night. I'm like, that's when the fun starts happening. So like she was able to talk to the coach to like get me into these apartments. Mm -hmm. So I was like out of her hair kind of that night. I'm like, I broke into five or six cars in the neighborhood. I lost my shoe Mm -hmm. in one of them. I I think I left myself. I remember Nextel's that had the chirp. Everybody had that back then. I left my phone Mm -hmm. in one of the cars and I'm talking about stealing like gas cards, change and like phone chargers, Mm -hmm. nothing of value. Mm-hmm. 
So I guess someone in the neighborhood. Not because you need money for no, rent just because it's like just because it's like it's already in my head that I like stealing, and now that now I have no inhibitions, I'm just like getting a thrill out of no, it. No, on Xanax you just steal the dumbest shit. It's crazy. Nothing of value. I would steal stuff from my friends in front of them, and they'd be like, "Dude, why are you? I'm watching you, dude. That's my wallet." I know. <laughs> I do. This, I've been caught doing the same thing, like right in front of them. It's. I don't. I don't know. I. I need to know the science behind theft. And the and connection Xanax. with Xanax, I would really like to know that. I think it just erases that, like, right from wrong inhibition. That, 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 but it's like, like why? Because it's it's, it's steel. Theft. It's not direct. It's not it's not pirate like being a pyro. It's not like you know any other. It's like why? And people that theft. don't even like clip those. No, it's it this weird. Takes, theft. It brings it out of you. I, I've stolen all types of shit. Me too. All I've types. only done Xanax like four times. I've been arrested three. I've been in handcuffs three times. All times that you're on Xanax. Yeah. Dude, every time I would take a Xanax, arrested. Me too. I think every time I've been arrested, which is a lot of times. All Xanax related. I think I've been arrested. I was counting it the other day, like all together. I think it's like 12 times. Mm -hmm. I think 10 of those were Xanax. And mm -hmm. others were obvious. Everything dealt with drugs and alcohol mm -hmm. at some point. But Xanax was the thing that like took away my ability to be like mysterious like to be to like you hide can't it. even be good it's you not, can't you can't hide it it's just the word okay so what happens when you break into these cars someone in the neighborhood must have seen me do it and the police got called and when they came i matched the description of the guy and mm -hmm. da, 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 long story short i got arrested with four felonies of breaking and entering hmm. i got kicked off the baseball team for that season which was devastating they let me come back the next season but it was tough like watching the team play the rest of the year what did your parents say my mom was devastated. My dad was always an enabler, so like he'd just be like, "I know you're with your friend. It was probably him that got you to do it." Aww. My mom, yeah, very easy. My dad's like that guy that's like, no matter how low of the low. Like the other day, not my son. The other day, I'm at the dinner with my wife and my dad and my son. Like I have a a nine year old and a mm -hmm. nine month old, and we're out at Texas Roadhouse or something, and we're talking to my dad, and somehow I was like. When I was smoke, telling like a story, I was like, can you, I was like smoking crack and like telling these stories and they're like, my dad's like, yeah, but you know, you only smoke crack for like a few months or so. <laughs> and I looked at like my wife, I'm like, she, he was like downplaying the fact that I was smoking crack, crack yeah. without like, I couldn't stop either. It wasn't mm -hmm. like, I just was like, uh, I think I've had enough. Like a phase. Yeah. yeah it was like full blown mm -hmm. whenever I was doing it, my whole paycheck was going towards it. Like I worked at a call center. And well, let me get let's stay on the that. timeline. Yeah, timeline. So, got arrested, got my act together a bit, mm -hmm. came back to BCC the next year, fucking killed it, earned my way back into that starting rotation. Killed it in sports. Killed it in sports. Still smoking weed heavily, mm -hmm. taking a Xanax here and there, watching it, trying to be keep it calm and cool mm -hmm. for the most part. End up getting a scholarship to go to another Division One university in north carolina it's called high point university it's a small division one great mm -hmm. school private school like super good school um competitive uh, had a tough schedule like we played really good division one teams like we went to university of miami mm -hmm. university of north carolina big schools um as soon as i got there man like right away and here's the thing my best friend that i did that got in trouble with at every turn mm -hmm. got a scholarship he was at bc got a scholarship with me amazing so we go together We've been like everywhere together. We played on that mm -hmm. team when I was at the Seminole Reservation, that travel team. We played for that. Then we played for the Hollywood Christian High School team mm -hmm. together. Then we played BCC together. And then we went to High Point University together. In all honesty, who was the instigator of those two? I think he was. He was worse than you. He was the more reckless one. Like, 
He was the real bad influence, but you weren't hard to influence. Not hard to influence, but he was definitely the more like the leader of the pack. Like he was the driving force, mm-hmm. you know? Um, my uncle passed away when I had been at, we were at the school for like a couple months. And when I go home, I bump into a buddy and I bought like 50 Xanax, like the sticks, mm-hmm. not like footballs, not generic, like the real deal. And I, and I, I, this was back in the day when airplanes didn't have like the fucking thing. Mm-hmm. I just put it in my bag and they never saw it. I came mm-hmm. to back to school to North Carolina with all these Xanax. And I remember when I got the Xanax, like I missed my flight. Cause I was like shooting the shit with people at the bar, getting wasted with my <laughs> fake ID. <laughs> and my mom's like, well, how did you miss your flight? And she could tell I was just like hammered, mm-hmm. you know? And she just like knew she just couldn't wait to get me back to fucking school in North Carolina, just at least out of her hair. And I told my buddy, you know, I gave him some of them dude. within a week. One night we like, you know, went to college night to the bar and like mm-hmm. he was going to Taco Bell wasted. And he T-boned a cop car, DUI. So right away, they were like onto us. Mm-hmm. These kids from Broward County, like we gave Broward County like a horrible fucking name. Mm. They're like, what the fuck? We're supposed to be there to like save the program. <laughs> like these studs coming from Florida. <laughs> and we just like shit on it right away. So dude, I got like a million and one chances. I'm, so the first drug test, I'm on it. I go and get the drink from GNC. I think I'm going to f- pass it. I fail. Fail the drug test. GNC didn't fucking work? Did not work for me. What was that? The detox drink? I forget what it was called, but it was supposed to be like... There was like a couple different yeah, brands. Yeah, you drink but- it this amount of time before, and you drink this amount of water with it, and your pee will be clear or like good for this amount of time. Every time I did it, it never worked. Really? Never. Never. <sighs> I've had some so, success. Yeah, not me. You're lucky. I Do you drink a lot of water? Yeah. I would drink so much that I'd throw up. Vinegar? No. I'll put some vinegar in there. Put some vinegar. Okay. For next time. Um, so I fail. Mm-hmm. That's like a huge blow because that day, this is at the new school in North Carolina. That day, I, I was like fighting for a position in that lineup too. Mm-hmm. So in, in that college, like uh, your big games were Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It was what, what, you, what you lived for. Friday was the big game. Saturday was like the second, third. Like So the number one starter would pitch Friday. Number two Saturday, number three Sunday. Mm-hmm. Those were the, that's that's what you were striving for as a pitcher, and they had this kid from down here who was the opposite of me and my buddy, mm-hmm. a straight arrow, good dude would maybe drink a Boone's Farm. You know what Boone's Farm is? It's like the colorful wine, like a wine cooler. Mm-hmm. Was his extent of his mm-hmm. um, his extent of being a bad boy? Mm-hmm. You know, we're over here like <laughs> rolling blunts, taking Xanax. If there was cocaine around, we might try it. You know, like drinking all day and all night, you know, um, he was drinking a wine cooler on the weekend, you know, like good kid. He was the number one. And the day that they put out the news of who was going to be what I, I saw on there. And, and meanwhile, I got a call that morning saying you failed. You, you tested positive for THC now because of HIPAA or whatever. They don't like tell the team right away. You find out first mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be on to me to tell them. But after they know that they call you, then they can release the information because they've already told you first. Mm-hmm. So then I get the call, like, I got to go down and talk to the fucking coaches and all this. But before that, I look at the thing. I'm the number two. I had earned the spot to be the Saturday starter. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't really enjoy it because I already knew my fate was right around the corner. Mm-hmm. And, and back then, it's a 45-day suspension. Mm-hmm. 45 days. That's a, hot, that's a long time in baseball. That's a lot of games. Mm-hmm. So during that time, I still have all this Xanax. You know, like, the team's like... 
shunned me out. Like they're all like, it's a bunch of like do-gooders from North Carolina that are nothing like how we are down here. And they're just like looking at you me. You guys like, are basically Kodak Black. Yes. Seriously, <laughs> I had a blowout. They called me the Gotti brother. <laughs> like I never, I wasn't like Italian. It's like the Jersey Shore. It's just a, you're different. You know, like I was the Gotti boy. Was I think that was my nickname around the school, the Gotti boy. You know, like the kid from South Florida with the blowout. <laughs> Off the chain. And uh, it, 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 was, it, it was cool to like, you know, be popular for that. <laughs> but not now that I look at it, it's kind of silly. But <laughs> dude, for 45 days, I had to sit in the other dugout and watch them practice. I had to be at every practice, every weightlifting, every team event. I had to be mm-hmm. there on time and wait the whole way through and just sit there and watch. You couldn't even work out? No. Mm-hmm. I had to work out on my own. You can't. It's against the NCAA rules. Mm-hmm. Or the team rules, whatever you cannot, you're you're mm-hmm. exempt. But I had to be there and Were not you still participate. Smoking? So I knew I had a 45 day suspension. So in my mind, I was like 30 days, you're clean. So mm-hmm. I smoked for 15, heavy, heavy for 15, mm-hmm. and like got so. So when I I get drug tested again to be reinstated, I got reinstated, and they put me right back in the rotation. Like I was a starter right away. And you know what I did mm-hmm. the day that I got reinstated? I smoked a huge blunt with the teammates on the team that never got caught. And I was starting that day against University of North Carolina Greensboro, a, mm-hmm. our big rival, and I threw a one-hitter. I only gave up one hit in seven innings. So I left that like, I have to get high. Mm-hmm. Like, it's either relaxing. I had to think, like, is a one-hitter good? But yeah, it's like a no-hitter, but someone hit it. Only one, one yeah. which is a phenomenal. Yeah. Giving up like five hits yeah. and a couple runs and pitching yeah. the whole game is yeah. great. So you were like, damn, when I smoke, when I smoke, I'm on point. Mm -hmm. So I still have all the Xanax. My buddy, he, his, he, he hurts his elbow and this kid's a stud. This kid got drafted by the Minnesota twins. Like we're talking Mm -hmm. the real fucking deal. I'll admit it. He was better than me. He was definitely better than me. Six, five, Mm -hmm. tall, lanky through gas. And he takes Xanax. He has an off day. All he has to do that day is go to the the um the what do you call it like the um, where the the first aid like the training aid like to to get therapy on his arm like you know where they give you like stem mm-hmm. and ice it they gave like a whole therapy to like get his his elbow back to normal and he's drinking all morning fucked up on Xanax and he's they're all in the in this room you know you, you imagine like in the pros when you see someone like they're all at a table getting different work done they're getting their mm-hmm. ankles taped up it's like mm-hmm. a big facility like that mm-hmm. and everybody and they have like espn on and he starts chiming in on his opinion of like a team and he's slurring the fuck mm-hmm. out of his words that coach took him out to the baseball field i'm like this i'm at the baseball field in the other dugout watching practice cuz mm-hmm. you know i'm suspended and i see him coming in his street clothes with the fucking Guy, and then he's in the middle of the outfield with our head coach doing like sobriety drills, no. like walking a straight line, mm-hmm. and he's falling all over the place. And they're like, "Go back to your fucking room, get the fuck out of here." And on his way out, he's on Xanax, so he's like belligerent. Mm-hmm. He's like banging on the fence, like this fucking place sucks. You guys all fucking suck. Out of his character. They're about after that happened. They're associating me and him with every move together because we're roommates and do everything together. They're about mm-hmm. to kick us both off the team. They have a meeting and they're, they've decided to kick us both off the team. And I fucking plead and beg. And they're mm-hmm. like, you know what? You know what, David? I'll think about you. And they said to my friend, like, get the fuck out of here. Go mm-hmm. fucking back to fucking Broward where you came from. Mm-hmm. He still went on to be a fucking pitch in the pros. Like, he was really? actually, <laughs> oh, wow. still was great ball. Wow. Player. You guys are still close? No. Mm-hmm. No. No. 
Um, and yeah, he. I, it's funny. I was at the pet supermarket in Hollywood, like picking mm-hmm. up. I have a French bulldog, and I had to like get the specific royal canine, whatever, like dog food, dog and food. I had to get it for him. And um, I'm in there, and I see him, and he's like in the parking lot, like he'd, like he'd been there for a while. Like I think mm-hmm. he was like waiting to cop or something at mm-hmm. the pet supermarket. I'm there to like buy this special mm-hmm. dog food for my dog, and he's there, like kind of like. Looked like he looked a little rough. Mm-hmm. Like he was waiting on the guy to come gotcha. drop off a bag or something. I had thought that he had got his life straightened out, but no. he pitched in the pros and then probably kept using. No, yeah, he kept had to keep using. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know he dated a girl that like found recovery and had a couple girls, mm-hmm. and he still couldn't get it together. I don't know where he, what he's exactly doing today, but I know that like recovery, mm-hmm. NAAA, whatever, Not would into. be perfect for oh, him. Oh, perfect for him. Like yeah. he'd fit right the fuck in, mm-hmm. and it would do so good for him because he's smart. Athletic. He's just a good him, guy. Funny. We got to get him in. Charismatic. In the program. I know. I'm. Sh- I'm sure the the girl he's with has a good amount of time, and he didn't catch on. I remember him being like, "Yeah, she's with all that fucking twelve step <laughs> bullshit." You know, like she doesn't even drink. She's sober. Can you believe it? She doesn't even have a beer. I'm like, "Yeah, I've been clean for a couple years too." And he's just like, "Oh, that's what's up." You know, like yeah. thought he was offending me, but we, we should we should reach out. Him. Yeah, bro, that's like my best, that's like my favorite thing to do is like, like I've, I've done it multiple times. It's like when someone tells me they have like a friend who like they can't see getting clean, I'm like, oh, there's. And I'm not close with them, so it might be weird kind of coming from me, but. No, you just got to do it. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah. I'm down. So they vote me to stay on the team. Mm-hmm. I get back reinstated and I'm doing, I have a really good season. They're like really high hopes of me. Mm-hmm. That summer, I had to stay, take some summer classes to like get my GPA up to make mm-hmm. sure I was eligible for the following year. And that summer, I found a kid selling Kalanapins, which weren't as good as Xanax, but if you take enough of them, it's the same thing. It's in the Benzo family. And I thought people liked them better than Xanax. I didn't. I wasn't big into Benzos, but I remember Kalanapins, people fucked with them. I don't know. You didn't like them. Okay. Four of them would give you that Benzo, like Xanax mm-hmm. feeling. I mean, it is a benzo, but found the guy for that the whole summer getting fucked up. Like the whole summer, I was just fucking getting mm-hmm. fucked up. Um, we were at this local bar one night and this lady's purse is right near like the, they have like a pool table here and this lady's purse and I see like this cash hanging out of her, like an envelope out of mm-hmm. her bag. And I'm fucked up. I have nothing holding me back from anything because I'm all fucked up now. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I snatched it. I brought her purse to the bathroom, took all her credit cards, took the cash, brought the fucking purse back, and no one ever knew. But the, the thing where I went wrong is I paid for everybody's tab that night on her credit card. Mm. And it was a local bar, so mm-hmm. they knew who I was. So my name got dropped to the police. And I got a DUI that summer that the, the team overlooked. And here's the thing. I was so fucked up on like pills that when I went and blew the, uh, the alcohol tester breathalyzer mm-hmm. i was like drunk. 0.04 i wasn't even i didn't even so when it came time to go to court i hired an attorney got off because mm-hmm. i wasn't even drunk but the police officer tried to like say he was on uh under the influence of other medicine but mm-hmm. the lawyer was good and like didn't let that happen because mm-hmm. like there was no proof there was no like blood test or urine mm-hmm. test to, to, to prove it so like, after that dui then i got that and then so i go home for the rest of the summer for like a couple, like a month after mm-hmm. the summer school is over. And when I come back, I'm like slightly ineligible. Like my GPA is a little low and my coach fought to get my scholars to keep my scholarship. So he's already like going out on a limb for me. 
Mm-hmm. And dude, I'm living in the dorms this year because I can't live in the cool apartments because my mom doesn't want to pay for it. So now I have to just do what the scholarship mm-hmm. says, which is in the dorms with all the young kids. Now I'm like a junior with like freshmen, mm-hmm. but whatever. It was cool. One day I come home and my butt my teammates like, yo, um, campus security was looking for you. I'm like, all right, cool. And this kid that I bought weed from, right? He goes, yo, is your name David, David, whatever? I'm like, yeah. He goes, yo, you're on the most wanted list for credit card fraud and theft. I'm like, when did I ever steal a credit card or do that? <laughs> and then so I'm trying to avoid it. I'm like staying at my buddy's place. I'm trying to like avoid it. I was always like, avoid it. Avoid, mm-hmm. avoid, 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 run, dodge. Don't face anything head on. And then eventually... I turned my, like, I was at, they kept coming. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, let me go to the campus security. I'm like, they were asking for David. They're like, yeah, hold on a second. The High Point police came, took me to the station. They never put me in handcuffs. They were real cool. They even drove me back to the school. Mm-hmm. I never really got, like, arrested and booked. It was a paper arrest. Paper one. Like a, um, what they call it, like an ROR, like a return on recognizance. Like, they trusted me to come back. Mm-hmm. So then I, my school catches wind of it. I'm like trying not to tell them. And they just were like, I need you to come in here. And my coach at that point, after fighting, after like, after the failed drug test, after this, after that, after this, was like, get the fuck out of here and never come back. I never want to fucking see you. I don't even want to look at you. Wow. And this is a guy who really liked me. Yeah. You know? Did Are they kicking you out of school or kicking you off the team or is it the same thing? Can they kick you off the team? The like school that? board kicked me out of the school for the arrest. Because it's a felony or whatever, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And then the school was like, you're done. Like, if you're getting kicked out of the school, you're off the team. So gotcha. I'm off both. So what I do at that point is I reach out to all the schools that liked me before. So I reach out to Lynn University mm-hmm. back here in Boca. Lynn University. And they they let me on the team. And as soon as I got there, I failed the drug test. Again. David. Again. Mm-hmm. And they're like, 45 days reinstate you. So I did the thing where I smoked for 15 days and then give it the 30. Mm-hmm. I was smoking good, you know, weed sticks to you for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I, when I took the test, they were like, they, they, the test was lower, but they're like, we, we can tell you've still been smoking. Mm-hmm. And they, I got kicked out of there. So that was my baseball career mm-hmm. fucking blown away. Like, I wouldn't say that I was like the top, top tier, but I, I feel like I could have definitely like, Spent a little bit of time in the minor leagues, maybe mm-hmm. like been in someone's bullpen in mm-hmm. the major leagues for a little bit. I was a competitor. I didn't throw like 100 miles an hour, you know, but I was like, I don't know, 89 miles an hour to 92, 93 mm-hmm. and was a competitor. What's like, what do you need to throw? How fast do you need to throw to be in the major leagues? So back then, nine, anything over 90 was like impressive. Mm-hmm. Mid 90s, you were the fucking man. Nowadays, everybody throws mid 90s. Kids hit 100 miles an hour like it's nothing now. Really? fucking crazy why you think it's just progressive i don't know if it's like competition performance enhancement drugs along with more advanced training like every sport like you see basketball football baseball i don't know much about i was watching this video where they were like dude michael jordan could never compete at this level because he would have had the same but he would have had the same resources you get what i'm saying like well i'm saying it's like well, were the people he's going against back then just as good as the people that they like? You think for the times they were like, yeah, but you think like Michael Jordan is better. I think than he would have. I think when everyone has that like argument, like who's better, LeBron or Michael Jordan? Mm-hmm. Like Michael Jordan has the more, like the more rings, I guess, mm-hmm. or not more rings, but like more times to the finals without losing, and he kind of has that mm-hmm. like illustriousness. But I think LeBron's 
better. I guess with pitching, you can really measure speed. Yeah, so miles per hour. Measuring how good someone is as a player is kind of difficult. And you know what? It's not always the fastest thrower that's the best pitcher. Sometimes balls and guts and mm-hmm. like the the ability to like have more will to win is, mm-hmm. can be more than that. You know, you like the, the, that tenacity mm-hmm. can't be measured, and it's just. And sometimes the guy with the tenacity doesn't get the chance that the other kid with the fucking 95 mile an hour fastball gets because mm-hmm. he's not good enough to get your attention. Mm-hmm. But he could have been a competitor at the next level and win. Because at the mm-hmm. end of the, when you're in the big leagues, all who, no one cares about how hard you throw. It's about how, how you win. Mm-hmm. Once you're in, you're in, mm-hmm. you know? But it's the, it's like the sex appeal to like, mm-hmm. oh, he throws 98 miles an hour. Or like in basketball, oh, he's six foot nine. Yeah. yeah. When the guy who's six foot two is better than him, is better and he's a more competitor, but they did just, you just see the, the, the potential, the yeah, high the ceiling want, of a guy yeah. with the more stuff. So baseball's done. And I, I already have this like checkered felony <laughs> criminal history. I can't go work for great What's places. What's mom now. saying? They're still believing in me because I'm still a good, smart, nice kid. Mm-hmm. I was never like vicious or like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I went through a time of having a temper mm-hmm. more with my mom than my dad. But you're still like well-mannered, probably sad when all this is going on. They're probably like, well, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. And so for work, I, I did some like odd jobs. Like my dad was a printing salesman where he sold like massive amounts of business cards, brochures for like colleges and different mm-hmm. things. So I was able to get a job at like the printing prep, like in the warehouse and like jogging paper and stacking Mm -hmm. paper on pallets and stuff. But then I broke my arm doing something crazy and that was hard to do. Mm -hmm. So I got a job as a waiter Mm -hmm. at a really nice old restaurant called the River House in Fort Lauderdale. And there is where drinking, doing (laughs) drugs and everything were like huge because it's like the the biz, you know, Mm -hmm. like the restaurant industry. So it's like every... Every environment I was putting myself in was like, mm-hmm. you know, that stuff. So then that, you know, I got kind of tired of working in a restaurant, mm-hmm. you know. And so I did started doing it. I worked for this guy for like $10 an hour to do accounting for a debt settlement company, like a call center. And the boss was like this Italian guy. You could tell he was like mixed up with the mafia or something. Mm-hmm. Like had it, you know, had it like we were cool. And he goes... Dave, what are you making four hundred dollars a week for? These guys make two, three thousand dollars a week. Like, see what you can do on the phone. I'm firing the accounting guy you work for. <laughs> He's done. Okay, so I go and I started doing really well. You know, started making money, and then I met this kid named Eric, who who's had a taste of recovery. Who's I think mm-hmm. he's using again. In this training class, he would give me like Adderall. I'd never had Adderall. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not ADD, so Adderall makes me like, yeah, like locked you know like i'm not eating i'm fucking like gritting my teeth Mm -hmm. and all i want to do is work you Mm -hmm. know like nonstop. and uh one like i remember one time he's like oh i have a xanax so i need the xanax to come down so now i got the plug again on now xanax Mm -hmm. has like revealed its ugly face in my Mm -hmm. life again and uh it's like an old friend haven't seen you in a while it is and i loved it more (laughs) than anything it always made me so happy to get xanax because it would take all like the anxiety because i'm Mm -hmm. anxious i'm a worrier like inside, I'm going through this battle. Like you don't know it, but I'm like oh, socially awkward in my head. But I come, people will be like, I'd be like, I have social anxiety. They're like, Yeah, right, dude. You're like mm-hmm. so confident and easy going. I'm like, You have no fucking clue. I am mm-hmm. just tricking you. Mm-hmm. Like I hate talking to people. I'm looking at my watch, hoping this conversation's mm-hmm. over, and I just want to be by myself. Yeah. So, 
I'm doing this. One day he didn't have Xanax. All he had was like an 80, like a Oxy 80. And like we put on a piece of foil and did the trace and the chasing the, the dragon and shit. Yeah. And I never really got into opiates. I, it was more of a means to like come off of an upper. Mm-hmm. So there was this trailer park, this like dope house that we would get the pills from. One time I go there to get Xanax and somehow I ended up smoking crack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hate when it happens. <laughs> I went there for fucking Xanax and ended up smoking crack and loved it. And I had done cocaine a handful of times, and I liked it. Mm-hmm. I remember my first time doing cocaine. I was at American Heritage. One of my buddies picked me up. We're doing. We, we like went and played laser tag at Boomers. <laughs> it was like the best day of my life. It's like your first time doing cocaine. It's so great. You're not anxious, paranoid, mm-hmm. nothing. You're just like energetic. Yeah, you don't and happy. feel the come down. You're like want to talk and like you know it's all great. It's not like shit. Mm-hmm. Is someone coming? Mm-hmm. Like you know like how how it gets, gets at the end. You're yeah. just like it's never fun. Mm-hmm. So. I smoked, started smoking crack. And then... How old? 24. Okay. 24. And it turned into like just a weekend thing. Mm-hmm. Spend like three or 400 bucks. No, I'd go there and buy like $100 worth. Would you smoke it all there or you take it home? At first, there was this kid there that was like my friend mm-hmm. who I had to call this kid Mitch in order to like set it up for me. Mm-hmm. So by the, I'd be like, I want $100 worth. He would probably, you know, put his little bit to the side mm-hmm. and then smoke it all with me. Mm-hmm. And then he'd have his for later. And then I got to the point where I was like, I needed to X Mitch out mm-hmm. so that I could take this and leave because I want to like get the most out of it. Mm-hmm. Mean and, and, and I kind of like skipped over, but I've been arrested a lot in the middle of this, right? Um, I got arrested at High Point. Like I said that's a couple of times um, when I was at Lynn, I got arrested at Passion Nightclub at the Hard Rock. I was all fucked up on Xanax. They wouldn't let me back into the mm-hmm. club because I like I had a T-shirt on, but I was like. Mm-hmm. I was just in there. I was just in there, and I kept count trying to get back in, and eventually they arrested me, and I had a huge freezer Ziploc bag with two Xanax in it. <laughs> got arrested for Xanax, got put on probation, went to drug court, mm-hmm. finagled the whole drug court thing, you know, always in trouble with the law. Arrested, arrested. Then when I started smoking crack one time, there was no crack at the crack house, so this one kid was like, yo, I know a place we can go, like up down Hillsboro. Like, mm-hmm. There's this like La Quinta Hotel where it gets like, mm-hmm. these projects behind the area. And we're the only two white kids driving around two in the morning in this bad neighborhood. So got pulled over. Cops say my license was suspended. I don't even know. I don't know how it was. It was definitely a mistake. Mm-hmm. So they're like, oh, it's without knowledge. So we're just going to we're going to tow your car and get you a cab. Get whatever you need from the car. Instead of just going to grab my jacket, because I remember it was cold. Mm-hmm. I had Xanax hidden. I had a Toyota Camry and there was this little like next to the steering wheel, there was this little dashboard thing you could take out. I mm-hmm. went and took the Xanax. The cops right behind me. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? Showed him. He goes, you're a fucking idiot. Fucking locked me up. Put me away. Mm-hmm. Like I went to jail. Got right. You know, always would get bonded right out, mm-hmm. you know, but now I'm on probation and I'm still trying to like hustle the system. So I know I can't like smoke weed, but I'm on probation. So I like doing everything but weed. You know, like knowing I got to go back at this time. So long story short, keep smoking crack, working at the fucking call center, <laughs> making two or three grand a week, smoking it all up by the end of the weekend. Like I would get paid two or three thousand dollars on Friday by Sunday night. I was flat broke, flat broke. Couldn't even afford my eight hundred dollar a month rent. Mm-hmm. Um, kept getting arrested, kept getting arrested, kept getting arrested. And then I finally got arrested while being on probation. And you don't get out of jail right away. So this is my first introduction to like having to stay longer than a night in jail. Mm-hmm. So I stayed, I was in jail for like six or seven weeks. It was horrible. 
went to my first Narcotics Anonymous meeting. Mm. They bring it to you. I was in the SAP program. So like I wasn't uh, court ordered to the SAP program, which is the substance abuse program at Conti, Joseph Conti. And, but my lawyer was like, if you do this, it'll look better for your case. Mm -hmm. It'll show the judge that you're trying. So I go and it's funny. There's this guy, Jay, you, you know who he is. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember he brought the message in there and Mm -hmm. I thought this guy was cool. I was my first like attraction rather than promotion thing. I was like, yo, this guy's fucking cool. Like he really doesn't use drugs or alcohol. Mm -hmm. And he's like, looks like he enjoys his life. And he talks about all these things he has because Mm -hmm. he decided to not pick up anymore. So I get out and man, I came out like David 2.0. Like Mm. I I was always like a little chubby Mm -hmm. and going into jail for seven weeks. The last dinner they give you is at 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. I'm doing like 2,000 push-ups a day, 3,000 sit-ups, mm. figuring a way out to hustle my commissary to pay this Jewish kid who got kosher meals. And the kosher meals were so much healthier mm-hmm. than the regular shitty meal. So like I would wake up early just to give him my breakfast. I'd buy all these honey buns to like be able to have him trade his meal for me. Mm-hmm. So I was like eating healthy. Like I came out there like 20 pounds lighter, like looking like ready to go. So as soon as I got out, I'm doing, I had my job at the sales place, was doing great. Um, I had a sponsor. I was going to meetings. I loved NA. Mm-hmm. I fucking was all in. Like I went to a meeting every day. That was like mm-hmm. my life revolved around NA for this short <laughs> amount of time. And then I got this girlfriend who mm-hmm. was not in the program. And I remember, you know, when they always say like, don't date someone. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't listen to that. She was so beautiful. I was like, I gotta, <laughs> you know, like, oh my God. So started dating her and it's my four month anniversary and it's also her 23rd birthday. And we go to this restaurant, New York prime and I'm making good money. And she orders a gray goose on the rocks with blue cheese stuffed olives. I remember it till this day. And I, and he looked at me, what do you want, sir? And I was like, I'll have the same thing without the blue cheese and the olives. How long were you four? I was that day, four months clean. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the man with four months clean. I was like, I felt like I was somebody. Mm-hmm. It's weird how like clean I time, held on yeah. to my time. Like it, it's such a thing for me. Mm-hmm. Like I used to go to plantation recovery where like your first 60 days, mm-hmm. you tell you have to like say how much time you have. And I couldn't wait to get past that 60 days where I didn't have to say it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, how long I had clean. You know, it was like a big yeah, deal. Yeah, clean time feels really good. And the chips and the, you know, the medallions. Like, dude, I remember getting key tags and like, there was just something pretentious about it that like was so cool to me that it was like, man, you can have a Ferrari and all this stuff like six months clean. That blue key tag, that blue is hard. like do that blue key tag to me. I was just like, dude, could you, you know, it just seems like such an impossible feat that you're just like, could that be me? You know, like and then could, when it is, you're like the whole day you can't wait. Oh yeah, bro. To go to that meeting so and pick cool. it up. And that whole week you go to a meeting every week and you pick up the blue mm-hmm. key tag at all the meetings so everybody know. Like I remember, I was like, do I get them at all of them? And mm-hmm. my sponsor was like, yeah, you got to let everybody know where you're at. Mm-hmm. So like sometimes going up to pick the key tag is for you, but it's mm-hmm. also so everybody in there knows where you're at and they kind of can hold you yeah. accountable a little bit and they know where you're at. And in then your the journey. newcomer could be like, oh, that guy looks cool. He's yeah. got six months. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Let people sure. know who you are. Yeah. It's, There's I mean, more to it. It's I not tell every, always for you. The yeah. Key I tag. tell everyone like, bro, get as many key tags as you can your first week, go to as many meetings as you can because people get to know you, people get to see you, you know, it's important. Totally. And it's like, dude, if you stay clean the rest of your life, you're only going to do this one time. <laughs> you know? So yeah. it's like, so I liked it, you know, mm-hmm. and then I, I started drinking 
and then it eventually just my life just tailspinned again. I mm-hmm. started smoking crack again. I like it, it, it didn't really take long, mm-hmm. you know, for me to like get into Xanax, get mm-hmm. back into all the shit that kept dude, no matter what the consequence was, jail, getting kicked off every baseball team. I, it's just like I never had enough. You know that mm-hmm. saying like is like, yeah, he, he he hasn't had the pain is not great. I've heard the saying the pain is not great enough. The mm-hmm. pain was never great enough to consider stopping ever. So whatever, whatever. Life just continues to fucking tailspin. I, I don't really ever go more than a year or two without getting arrested ever mm-hmm. during active addiction. Never. Always in trouble. Um, next thing you know it. Um, let's see. So I'm into the call center, get arrested. I get out. Everything's great. The girl, the relapse, living at a halfway house, Mm -hmm. hustled the halfway house, got out of there. Life got really bad. I'm on probation. I go out with my buddy. We go to, we go to downtown Palm beach, like in the ghetto. Mm -hmm. I forget what the name, uh, Tamarin street. It's like a, it's a bad street in in Palm beach. Mm -hmm. We go there to find cocaine. We were trying to get powder cocaine, right? We go there, dude rolls up on a bike and it's just crack dealers. Mm -hmm. So kid puts like $100 worth of crack in my hand without me giving him money. And I look at my buddy, I'm like, yo, fucking take off. And he's driving a, like a pearl white G35 in the middle of the ghetto, Mm -hmm. two in the morning. The fucking, the guy on his bike, the drug dealer was able to manage to hit me Mm -hmm. on our way out, but it was no big deal, you know, but we got pulled over within a minute or two. Mm. And so, like, they separate us, the cops, and later did I find out the kid that I was with... Snitched on you? Snitched, and he was a snitch. He was, like... Like, uh, He worked with the cops? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, he had drug pen charges and only went to federal prison for, like, a year and a half, two years, Mm -hmm. and he was out on probation. He had no shoes on, wasted, Mm -hmm. and somehow they let him go. And when when the kid punched me and we took off, like, all of the the drugs were in the back seat, Mm -hmm. so they, they didn't know who they were. They believed his story over mine. They were like, yeah, he bought the drugs and got punched in the face, and I had a little shiner, so it all matched. So now I'm like, man, I'm on probation. Again, you know, like I've already been to jail before with no hold, like where you're not getting no bond. Mm -hmm. So now I'm like, my probation officer calls me. Like I'm trying to get away with it. I'm like, maybe it's because they're in different counties. They won't Mm -hmm. find out. But long story short, the probation officer called me like, David, what happened? You were doing so good. They like the mm-hmm. even the probation officer was like I was charismatic with her. She liked my story. She like had <laughs> hope for me. Yeah, and um, you know I was on the run for a couple months. Mm-hmm. And then me and a bunch of buddies are going to Halloween Horror Nights, and my buddies. That's important. Yeah, very <laughs> important. He he drives a very. He he was driving a white Hummer on twenty sixes, mm-hmm. and we're just speeding down the interstate to get to. Orlando, we get mm-hmm. pulled over. I have this warrant. I know I have the warrant, so I don't want to show them my ID. Mm-hmm. Long story short, they found out who I was, put it together. I get arrested for um, resisting. That's a form of resisting arrest, not showing your ID. It's resisting Whoa. without violence. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I'm in Kissimmee in jail there. It was rough, a little yeah. rough in that jail. I would um, imagine Kissimmee jail is not fun. They had good food. Okay. I know it sounds crazy, but they had salt and pepper and butter. Okay. To go with your meals, which is not like Broward. Mm-hmm. Broward's like the worst. Everywhere else is way better than Broward. Really? Every jail I've ever been to outside of Broward Describe County. Describe Broward's jail. Man, like when you're in there in the beginning, bro, you're not. They don't give you no toothpaste, no soap. Mm-hmm. You're like kind of going a couple of days without a shower. You're with just like, you're, you're like 
the lights never go out. It's rough, but like it's they put you in this like it's almost like they put you in this order where you're like in with everybody in in like with everybody with all different types of charges and it's mm-hmm. a little rough and you're like going through it. And then they move you to like the second floor where you get a blanket. Mm. And now you're like, oh, I have a blanket now. Like it's better. And then the next one's like you get a sheet to put around your bed. Mm-hmm. And now you can order commissary. So you're like, you're able to like cope. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how it got better and better. Like you can order commissary, you get a little food, mm-hmm. you know, like you take a shower. Now, now you're clean. Mm-hmm. You get money on the phone. You can talk to people. You kind of like life starts to get into a routine and you mm-hmm. kind of normalize. Um, other jails are so much more accommodating and nice. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. They have mm-hmm. like real food where it's like, not just some bullshit, mm-hmm. you know, not like two hot dogs uncooked and a <laughs> fucking thing of beans. Like that's what you get at the Broward County jail. Like I remember I used to like get pretzels on commissary and save the salt mm-hmm. at the bottom of the pretzel bag to like garnish up my meal. Cause it was Ugh. fucking horrible. Mm-hmm. No taste. And I love salt. Like I put fucking God, salt on everything. Like, big deal. Even if something doesn't be, need to be salted, you I won't salt. see if it needs salt. I just have to have some salt on the top. Mm-hmm. You know, it's bad. But whatever. Um, So in jail, um, let's see. Get out of the SAT program. I'm I'm in court. Uh, I already get reinstated. They're just waiting for the judge to agree to it. Mm -hmm. And the judge was like, has he been in halfway before? Um, I think I'm going backwards. But I had to go. This is when I had to stay at the halfway house. Relapse. Did Mm -hmm. all that. And now life has become a little bit normal. And I'm just like drinking and smoking and occasionally doing a Xanax or occasionally doing some blow occasionally mm-hmm. um i have my son and i'm married right i get married because um i get married we have a kid love of my life jackson love them like instantly loved being a dad mm-hmm. but i was always smoking doing xanax whenever i can get a hold of it all that and um let's see she left me and divorced me and i would say 99 percent of it was because of using mm-hmm. right um and right away I got 50-50 custody, you know, because it's kind of like what you get. If you're mm-hmm. not like, I mean, anybody can kind of get 50-50 custody to start with in mm-hmm. Florida. Um, I didn't really have to like fight for it, kind of. Mm-hmm. But like, so I'm getting away with, you know, I have him when he's like two years old, like, you know, still give him a bottle in the middle of the night, changing mm-hmm. diapers, doing all this on my own. And not on my own, but like on my days, you know, I'm taking care of him by myself. Mm-hmm. Started dating someone. We moved in together. Still getting arrested. Still doing crazy shit. Um, we went to like her work event. She worked for a really good company that would have like family events. Mm-hmm. And it was like one of those like spirits and wine thing only. So I knew like I'm going into this thing like only being able to drink beer and wine is going to suck. Mm-hmm. So I take a few Xanax before we go to this thing. And it's at the Museum of Discovery and Science like in Fort Lauderdale. And right across the street is a, is a 7-Eleven. So like... I knew that I needed more to drink and I'm on the Xanax and it's not really kicking in the Xanax the way I want it to. So like I figured out a way my son was like, Hey daddy, I need to go to the bathroom because we're watching this movie in the IMAX. Mm-hmm. And I figured out a way to like run across the street with him to use the bathroom at the Seven Eleven and buy a four locos, mm. chug the four locos and then somehow finagle it to do it again with him. Like we had mm-hmm. to go to the bath. I was like, you have to go to the bathroom, right? I got to go. You got to go. Come on. And I went back by then I'm blacked out. Mm fighting with her. I'm trying, we get back home. I'm trying to leave the house with Jackson, like packing up a bag, trying to leave all fucked up. And she calls the police. She's probably the best thing that ever mm-hmm. happened. 
They had to call her, uh, his mom. They took him away for like two, three months. For like two, three months, I could only see Jackson at like a park, hmm. like for three or four hours, play around with him. I, I don't, I don't get to have him alone, and it was tough, you know. But I would be so excited to see him. He'd be so excited to see me, and he didn't really know what was going on. And uh, I eventually got him back, and. I found my way to an NA meeting one day, um, my home group now. That mm -hmm. was the first NA meeting I'd ever been to. And I just remember seeing people in there being like, like they, they figure something out. I was a little skeptical, but they seemed so like confident mm -hmm. and social and happy and relaxed mm -hmm. that I had never felt really many of those things at the same time. So it was appealing right away. And so I started going. I think I had about a month clean. The girl I was dating at the time, we go to a wedding. And she was a drinker. Would I say a heavy drinker? I wouldn't say a light drinker. I'd mm -hmm. say at least two or three glasses of wine a night with dinner type. Mm -hmm. And then more on the weekend. So in her whole family, every social gathering drink. involved mm -hmm. drinking. So she was like, hey, do you want a Corona? And at first, I, I knew I'd, I knew I should have stuck with the Diet Coke. <laughs> but when she asked me, I was like, yeah. Like she almost made it okay. She like enabled me. Mm -hmm. It's my first, you know, enabling situation. And uh, I drank and I was able to get through the day. Like I had two beers and it was no big deal. And she was like, wow, see, like, drinking's not your problem. Now I'm being investigated by DCF because of what I just did mm -hmm. with the incident, with the work event and getting all fucked up. Um, so now I know I can't use drugs because I'm going to fail a drug test, but I know I can drink. Mm -hmm. So like drinking... Yeah, I had, like, binge drink before, drank too much, but, like, never, like, woke up the next day, like, yeah, I need a drink, which I really later find out it, you can be an alcoholic. It doesn't make you an alcoholic just because you wake up shaking for a drink. You can mm -hmm. still be an alcoholic even if that's not the deal, but mm -hmm. I, I started using alcohol just like I used crack, just like I smoked weed, just like I took Xanax, exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. So, like, what I figured out was, like, and what I've learned is, it wasn't my problems weren't the drugs or alcohol. It was me. I never liked feeling how I felt because either I was socially awkward, anxious inside, not feeling adequate, maybe being insecure, whatever it was, these things made me not feel that. So it was always just me not trying to feel, mm -hmm. you know? And then, so I'm working to get Jackson back, but I'm drinking, right? No one knows. The girl I'm dating is keeping it from Jackson's mom. No one knows. But it starts to get out of control. Mm -hmm. And I start, but I start getting Jackson back. So, like, it's like one of those things where it's like the ramifications were never stringent enough on me. And, and I wasn't getting clean for me. I got clean to get my son back. Mm -hmm. So, as soon as I started getting him back, I was like, fuck it, back to it. So, I go to pick him up one day, wasted. When I'm like finally getting him back for a Thanksgiving, like I'm mm -hmm. able to have him for like two weeks uninterrupted. His mom's going out of town. She trusts me again. You show and I go wasted. to show it up wasted. I couldn't like, he, he still had like a big boy seat, like a mm -hmm. car seat. And I couldn't like strap him into it. And she's like, are you okay? She let me smell your breath. And she's like, get the fuck out of here. And literally we're like in a high speed chase down the sawgrass. And I'm like, later on, I was like, why was I even following her? What was I thinking I was going to do? Get him back? Mm -hmm. Like if the police were involved, they'd just look at me and be like, you're going kid, to jail. Yeah. But I followed her, and then as soon as, like, like we're calling the cops, I, like, dipped out of there, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, I called my sponsor, admitted to him, got it out of my system that night. And then the next day I woke up, mm -hmm. 
like I lost my son hungover. You know, like when you're hungover, you're super more emotional. You're like super depressed. And I did not like the feeling. I went right to the liquor store and bought a 24 pack of beer. Quickly started to like, and the more I drank, the less I Mm. felt shitty. And then I had a buddy to drink with and, you know, we're talking and we're like, oh yeah, you're not that bad. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, so by the end of the night, hammered, go to sleep. And I woke up the next Sunday and I'm like, I was like, I can't do this. I am going to drink. I called my sponsor. He goes, dude, if you feel that way, you need to go check yourself into detox or something. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm not going to detox. I'm not fucking doing that. I don't do opiates. Mm -hmm. I'm different. Uh, You know, I always look for the differences of why I'm not as bad as the Mm -hmm. next guy, you know, like, and I was like, I'm not doing that, you know? So what he did was he picked me up and he ran errands. Mm. Shit that I never fucking did. Like went to like, uh, what's it called? Harbor Freight and picked up tools to Mm -hmm. fix shit up in his house. Went to get his car washed. We went to a diner to eat. Mm -hmm. Like he did like regular shit. And I feel like, you know, we were around each other till like three o'clock to the point where he's like, you know, I got to go back and be with my family. (laughs) Like I can't really like babysit you for the rest of the day. But what I think you should do is there's this kickball for recovery thing tonight Mm -hmm. in Fort Lauderdale. And I went, I called my sponsee brother who me and him have nothing in common. Like he's this like redneck, whatever. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me as like, what the fuck is jock? (laughs) Like we're never going to be friends. But those differences, like, weren't we're still addicts, so we mm-hmm. became really good friends, and we still are. We don't talk as much as we mm-hmm. used to, but we're still super cool. Um, but I went to this kickball recovery, and remember, like, sports are always my thing. Mm-hmm. And no one had ever known who I was, so, like, when I go up, they're, like, playing in. They don't mm-hmm. know what the fuck, you know? And I bomb it over their head. Mm-hmm. Get a home run, mm-hmm. right, kickball recovery. Yeah. So my next time up, they're like, yo, back up, this guy can hit. <laughs> and you know what it did? It made me feel good. Wow. It made me feel like I felt with baseball when I was getting recognized. Mm-hmm. When my, like when I was in baseball, dude, my name was in the paper every day. I was like recognized. I, I'd always have a write up. Like I'd be talking to Sun Sentinel and the Herald, like getting mm-hmm. like writing articles about me like all the time it was normal in high school. But then I like, it's funny getting like all this um, attention for being this like good baseball player and getting like articles written with my face in the paper. Mm-hmm. I remember I had this one called Mound Presence, like the mm-hmm. pitching mound. It was like Mound Presence, and it was me pitching. It was like a big, sick. Yeah. Like Heritage had Nike mm-hmm. jerseys. It was just like perfect. I'm like in the middle of pitching. It was like mm-hmm. super cool. But now I've gotten, I've dwindled down to the point where like I'm seeking validation through them thinking I can hit the ball over their head in kickball recovery, mm-hmm. where there's probably not one real athlete there. Yes. <laughs> I'm like a Division One college trained athlete <laughs> that could have been in the pros, and all these other guys are just like fucking blowing out their knee and like you know like never played a real sport in their life, mm-hmm. and I'm like getting a thrill out of this. And people have one day clean, dude. That was November 18th, mm-hmm. 2018. And my clean date is November 18, 2018. So just last year, I celebrated five years. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like, you think you get into recovery and everything is going to be, like, peachy and fucking dandy. Mm -hmm. And it's really not. But I will say this. My life improved, like, like, when I got clean, my life improved dramatically. Like, I had always made a lot of money doing sales. I was always Mm -hmm. really good at sales, manipulating and bullshitting. I Mm -hmm. could always do it, you know. And I never had more than a couple hundred dollars to my name. That when I, I had been clean for like nine or ten months, I had saved like twenty thousand dollars, and I'm only mm. making you know fifteen hundred to two thousand. Not say only, but I was making fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars a week. But I had saved like nineteen, twenty thousand dollars in nine months, and I'm just mm-hmm. like, it's because 
I'm not spending. And I'm still going out to eat and enjoying myself and like being modest. But like, Mm -hmm. it's because I'm not spending my money on drugs and alcohol, not making stupid decisions. So life became immensely better. The girl I was dating, like, you know how they say like, don't date someone the first year. Well, they also say like, I've heard, I don't know if this is Mm -hmm. a thing, but like when you're in a relationship, don't break up for the first year. Also, like if you're already in a relationship, Mm -hmm. it's not like I went and found one while getting clean. Mm -hmm. I was in one. Wait a year till you make a drastic decision. But man, it had come up for like 10 months and I had just completely fallen out of love with this girl. Mm-hmm. Like she was there to like be my mother. Like mm-hmm. she was there to like be the signer on the lease because I had a bad record. Mm-hmm. Be there to pay the rent when I was like fucking up and didn't mm-hmm. have it. Like my mother, like always checking up on me. Mm-hmm. And when she didn't have anything more to like check up on me and my life had become better, it was almost like we went from like not knowing where I was in the middle of the night to like, why are you eating Cheez-Its on the couch? I can't fucking believe you. <laughs> Like we're talking about a crumb mm-hmm. on the couch as opposed to you don't know where the fuck I am. I could be in jail or like mm-hmm. d- dead or something, mm-hmm. you know? But so that, that, that relationship ended and I just like hop from the next relationship to the next relationship. And, um, my son's mother, me and her got into a bad argument one time and she tried to get full custody of my son and I'm coming up on two years clean and her and her mom go to the court saying I was trying, I, I was drunk and high and belligerent. Mm-hmm. So this is right during COVID when COVID started. So you're not like going to court. It's on zoom. Mm-hmm. So like, this is my first like adversity being clean. Everything else had been peachy. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to see my son for like, it was the same, almost like the same deal as before when I couldn't see him. Like my, my um, Jackson's mom got a restraining order against me and I couldn't see him. Mm. And that was like, dude, I'd cry myself to fucking sleep. And you're clean for years. Yeah, I, I'm going on two years clean, and I'm like, I would like hold a picture of him before I go to bed, oh. like kiss the picture, dude. Mm-hmm. I, it it really hurt me. Like he, he he he's I don't know. There's something about your firstborn and a son, and he just wants to be like you, and he does everything you do. He plays baseball. Like every, I just love him so much. Mm-hmm. And I started dating who's my wife now, Brittany, and you know, like in the beginning, it was kind of one of those relationships. You know how they always say like you find the right person when the la- when you don't realize it coming. Like when you're not looking, you find someone. Mm-hmm. Well, I wasn't looking for anything and we're literally together. I remember her saying like, do you have any baby mama drama or any drama? And I'm like, no. And then within a week I was like supposed to meet her out of Houston's for like mm-hmm. a date. And I'm like, I, I can't meet our date. Um, I got my, my, um, my ex-wife is taking Jackson from me and, mm-hmm. and I can't like wrap my head around going on a date with you. Mm. And, you know, I remember her saying her, like she was out with her friends at a happy hour because mm-hmm. she's a normal, she can have like an espresso martini and a mm-hmm. cute little drink and not drink the whole thing type of person. Mm-hmm. And I think her, her saying her friends like, well, I know he's like sober, not knowing like the NA says clean. Yeah. You know, she just looks at it like everyone, everyone sober. that doesn't know, doesn't know that yeah. we like have a distinction between the two. Yeah. So she's like, if he, if he stays sober through this, he's really serious. Like this could be the thing to take him out. And mm-hmm. I remember her coming over to be with me when I'm all alone, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I really like clinged on to her in that rough time. Mm-hmm. And I really grew really close to her and it really developed into like a good relationship. And I won the court case. Like she took me to trial mm-hmm. for a restraining order, like a trial. Mm-hmm. Like I had Jackson was taken away from me and I had like supervised and the only way they would give me custody, like my attorney was really good, mm-hmm. but the only way with all these accusations was to get me supervised, where my mom was the supervisor. So I literally had to have my mom live with me in my two-bedroom apartment while I had Jackson. Mm-hmm. 
and this girl that I'm dating is like, I'm like, this if she's gonna run, this is the time. And she just like latched on even more. Wow. And went through some tough shit with me. Mm-hmm. And eventually after like six months of going to like trial mm-hmm. over this restraining order, I won. Mm-hmm. And they ruled in my favor. <sighs> I was like, Whew. And then I remember my sponsor always used to tell me, no matter what, if you don't pick up, everything's going to be okay. And that doesn't really do much for you <laughs> when you're in the shit. You hate dude. it so much. Yeah. But it's so true. And mm-hmm. it's, it showed time and time again. And yeah. So at some point, did you feel like, oh, I'm clean and all this shit's going on. I might as well use. I think it was like a fleeting thought, mm-hmm. like, a, like a thought, but I never obsessed about it. Never mm-hmm. like got to the gas station and almost mm-hmm. picked up the thing or almost called somebody I knew. Mm-hmm. I never went that far. You know, I took pride in my clean time and and like all the things that I was getting because of it. I didn't want to let it go. It's like the worst thing when people accuse you of using and you're clean. It's and like, I've been there and I've had to like the, the girl that I was dating before, the one that thought she was my mom. Mm-hmm. One time I had to like buy a drug test and like, I'm like, mm-hmm. here, see the results. <laughs> and it's almost like she wasn't like, I'm sorry. Da, mm-hmm. da, da, da. It's just like, whatever. You shouldn't be drinking anyway. You shouldn't <laughs> be high anyway. Good. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling my sponsor and he's like, dude. This is all because of your past actions. Like mm-hmm. anything that you're complaining about or feeling sorry for yourself, it's because of you, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, um, I get married January 22nd or January 23rd, 2022. So I'm coming up. My two-year wedding anniversary comes up tomorrow. And we have a, we had a baby, nine months old. Um, but like a little to go a little bit further back, um, my son Jackson, mm-hmm. right, got him back fifty fifty. He's like my little protege. Wants to do every single thing the way I do it. Mm-hmm. The other day, he loves steak and he'll only eat filet mignon type of kid, right? And I go, Jackson, why do you like steak? He goes, because you like it. Mm-hmm. Who's your best friend? You. Like, I'm talking loyal, and I'm hard on him. Mm-hmm. I've been very hard on him. Like, I'm also very loving and sensitive, but I'm also very hard. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. I'm not really in the middle. I'm either like, mm-hmm. you know, and very hard on him with baseball. And he's he he he's like a very good baseball player, mm-hmm. and um, he always played in like the lower like he in the higher age like he's eight playing with the the nine and ten year olds type mm-hmm. of kid. And we go practice like one day we're on this travel team and the practice gets rained out. So you know what we would do when it would rain? I bought a hundred tennis balls and we would go practice in the fucking rain. Mm. Like we're about this shit. Mm-hmm. Like we're gonna. I want him to go pro at eight years old. <laughs> so. We get done, and like two hours later, we're at the house, and he's like, Dad, my back. And like, and I'm like the type of dad where my kids complain, like, shut up, bro. We'll put some ice on it. Like, relax, dude, relax. It's going to be okay. And he's like crying, crying, crying. And we had a big tournament coming up that weekend. And all I can think about is him being ready for that baseball tournament, Mm. Memorial Day baseball tournament. This is last year. And man, I'm like hoping to God, I'm giving him like ibuprofen. I took him to a chiropractor. I'm just hoping for a turnaround. And he, an eight year old? Yeah. Crazy. And he never got better. Mm-hmm. It was never getting better. This was on a Thursday. And then on Sunday, he's just not getting better, dude. And he's like lethargic and he's mm-hmm. not eating. It's like so not like my son. Mm-hmm. So we go to urgent care. They're like, oh, it's something viral. It's not muscular or skeletal. Like, meaning it wasn't an injury from baseball. Everyone's blaming me for overworking him in baseball. Everyone's like, dude, it was the rain. No, no, no. They're like, you overworked them. It's you. Mm. Like, whenever he has practice, that should be it. You shouldn't be taking him to practice when there's no practice. Mm -hmm. So his back's not getting better. I wasn't happy with what urgent care said. 
um, a, a family friend who was a doctor was like, take him to the, take him to the emergency room and have him do a CBC, like blood work, urine analysis, and some x-rays, like some imaging. So we go there, and his blood work comes back, and the ER doctor comes back. He's all like, oh, and he gets to the point where it says platelets, and his platelets are like, so an average normal healthy kid has like, his platelets are between 150 to 200. His platelets were at 30. And he's shocked. And he's like, we're going to do a retest. This has to be a mistake. I Google low platelets, low platelets and back pain. Leukemia, 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 leukemia. Now, I'm in there with his mother, who we don't really like get along that well. And I tell her on the side, I text her, this, this is means what's popping leukemia. Up. And she's like, like, we had no thought of that. She's like, are you serious? I go and ask. I, I, walk, I was like, I'm going to go talk to the doctor. I talk to him. He goes, yeah, it's a possibility. But I've been doing this for 18 years, and I would bet my 18-year career that he doesn't have it. Doesn't have the doctor it. says? Doesn't have leukemia. So the blood work comes back. Platelets are even lower than the 30. They're at like 28, which is like dramatically low. Mm -hmm. So they're going to get us to go to like some hospital in Fort Lauderdale because they don't have a hematologist, a blood doctor at... Uh, mm -hmm. Coral Springs mm -hmm. Public Hospital, whatever we were, where we were at in, in Coral Springs. They're getting they're getting like the transfer paperwork together, but they're like, uh, we they don't have this whatever. We end up going to Joe DiMaggio, mm -hmm. and we end up on the hematology oncology floor. And I and then you know when you when you already in your mind thinking cancer leukemia, and then when they say oncology, mm -hmm. you're like, whoa, why are we here? And then, like, I'm thinking we might be able to leave that night. And, the, and like, we're in this, like, big, nice room with, like, an Xbox. And, like, mm -hmm. it's, like, kids' room. And they're, like, they're, if, they're well, like I, if you're here. Joe DiMaggio is so nice. It is. Mm -hmm. They're, like, if you're here, you're staying tonight. You're going to be here tonight. And I'm just, like, what the fuck? So, like, even the doctors, even, like, the resident, the resident doctor, like, the uh, whatever they call them, like, mm -hmm. the, the ones who are doing their residency, they're, like, everyone's denying leukemia. Because I don't know if it was so early on, or mm -hmm. he's just, he's not symptomatic at all. Just his back pain and low platelets. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Long story, you know, every day goes by and you're just hoping. Well, it's days. So it's Sunday, and then Monday they're doing tests, the, you know, they, and then they do an, MR, they do an MRI. Mm -hmm. And like, right, right, they do the MRI, and then they look at some blood work under a, a thing. And, you know, you see a new oncologist a lot. It's not always the same oncologist there. And, like, all of them are really, like, I don't, optimistic that it's not. And then I finally had one that actually started talking about the word leukemia and saying the word leukemia. And it kind of becomes real. I have my best friend, Chris, there, my whole family. Everybody's there. Mm -hmm. And they're talking and they're, like, breaking the news. And I'm just kind of, like, exhausted, not sleeping, paranoid, optimistic, like, so many emotions. And... Within a couple of days, they take their like, whenever they have good news to tell you, they just come right in the room and they tell you right in front of your kid. Mm -hmm. Whenever there's bad news, they're like, they're where's separate, mom? Where's yeah. dad? We need to take you to the sun room. And the, you know, sun room might sound like it's an optimist, positive, positive room. It's not. Mm -hmm. It's the shittiest fucking room ever. Worst news of my life got broken to me in the sun room. Mm -hmm. Like your kid tested positive for leukemia. I'm in denial. Fucking what the fuck? I think I said the word fuck like a hundred times. I'm like, you fucking kidding me? You just told me no. You just everyone in here said no. And uh, I tested positive for ALL, and they're like, you know, they try to like. Sometimes they try to tell you what you want to hear a little bit. You mm -hmm. know, they try to like make you feel good. They're like, look, if you know, cancer is bad. We know, but if this is the type of cancer to get, this is the type of cancer this you want. This is the kid. best cancer. This is the best <laughs> cancer to have. Uh huh. Has the highest survival rate. You know, so. 
they immediately within the next day he had a, a procedure to get a port yep. where they, they he receives his treatment and like like you know how we would normally give an IV well nothing has to be intravenous with him sometimes they'll use his IV to like take blood so they don't have mm-hmm. to access his port because it's a little bit of a fucking mm-hmm. process and then they have to give him new ones and yeah so like they they put the port in they took a sample of bone marrow and they gave him his first dose of spinal tap chemo now keep this in mind how long until diagnosed how long did it take to get chemo? three days wow they're like, giving they him do, chemo they're aggressive immediately? right away but here's the thing now are you re like dude you got three I don't, days i don't even have time to read i don't i think i'm in the hospital they're i'm gonna listen to whatever they're saying i know i'm just like no you, no research you're just like mm-hmm. and you know hindsight's 2020 you think later on like i should have should have looked into some things, you know, mm-hmm. but whatever. But they, I will tell you this, that he had excruciating back pain. I'm not telling you like, oh, my back's sore. I'm going to take an, an Advil and I can go like function unbearable, like, eh, like at nighttime to order to sleep through the night. They needed to give him Oxy. Damn. That's crazy. And he knew the difference between Tylenol and Oxy. He was like, dad, I can't move. Are they giving me Oxy? He mm-hmm. knew that with the oxy, he'd be able to relax, mm-hmm. and the Tylenol wasn't strong enough. Like he already like knew the difference of strength of medications. Yeah. And but within 24 hours of that chemo, his back stopped hurting. Mm. So it was the cancer, it was the leukemia, and, mm-hmm. the, and, and the chemo killed it. And now he was able to move around and be somewhat normal. Mm-hmm. You know. So we got in there on a Sunday, left the following Sunday, started treatment. We're going through all this treatment. Um, everything's going good. He goes into remission. The first after 29 days after the first induction phase, they test him, and he's in remission. Mm-hmm. No detection, zero detection of leukemia, and that's like. I feel like my whole life has been like waiting on a fucking outcome. You know, like with jail, like with with going being in the legal system. Mm-hmm. You're always waiting. Like, what is the judge gonna do? And it never goes away. You're like going to court for like two years for the dumbest shit. Yeah, and then the same thing was him with him. It's like waiting on this result. Waiting on that result, waiting on this test, waiting on that test. It's like you're always waiting on like the, the mm-hmm. demise, like the inevitable. That feeling is like no other, waiting on bad news or waiting on the possibility of bad news mm-hmm. constantly. So, man, we're praying, 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 you know, like I don't even know, praying, just hoping, wishing. And like you, we get the results first because you have this thing called my chart. It's like an app where you get the results before the hospital mm-hmm. calls you. And it said zero detection of leukemia. So happy. And like, dude, he starts to recover so fast that I was in denial. I was like, does he even have leukemia? Hmm. Like, did they just fucking do this for money? Mm-hmm. Did they like diagnose him so they can riddle us with hundreds of thousands <laughs> of dollars of chemotherapy and crazy hospital bills? Mm-hmm. Is this like what they do to kids? But, you know, like his mom's like stepdad is a pediatric urologist who dealt with Mm-hmm. cancer and he said it's consistent with leukemia so whatever so two months in we're going through the phases and then two months in we're there to like go on to the next phase and we're thinking only like six months of treatment and then they go into like a maintenance thing which is like mild chemo mm-hmm. if that makes sense mild chemo for mm-hmm. the next year and a half where he can go back to school play baseball like his life's normal you don't feel the chemo mm-hmm. it's, it's very mild it's not like keeping you in the hospital mm-hmm. they say we're not ready to go on to the next phase because they missed something in his medical reports from when they first took the bone marrow, mm-hmm. he had tested positive for a mutation in a chromosome that put him at a higher risk for relapse. Mm. So instead of being like a normal to low risk chemo patient, they put us to high risk. Mm. 
So we had to start the net phase over. And now instead of each phase only being a month, they're two months and they're fucking twice as hard and harder on him. And it's the chemo stronger. So like they misdiagnosed him. They were treating him wrong. Mm-hmm. But because he was in remission, they were like, that was like well, where you hang your hat a little bit. Like at least he's in remission. Mm-hmm. So we're just still going through it. How long ago was that? He got diagnosed May 31st. And so that two months later is when we found out the misdiagnosis mm-hmm. and he's still getting treatment. So he's got four more months because with chemo, in order to go on to the next treatment, mm-hmm. you have to like make counts. Like you have to be healthy enough for more. It's funny. Like the chemo breaks your immune system down. It brings all your numbers mm-hmm. down. And in order to get more chemo, those numbers have to improve on their own. Mm-hmm. So like he goes in there, he like certain phases, you're getting a blood transfusion, a platelet transfusion, all types of transfusions to get your health back up. And he would have to be healthy enough for more chemo. So sometimes it kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. Mm-hmm. Like this last phase that we were doing, only supposed to take 60 days. It took four months mm-hmm. because every time we'd go in to, to like test to see if we were ready for treatment, he'd get a week or two delay. So he's finally done with that. And that phase would be like, it's a 24-hour high-dose methotrexate, like the strongest chemo around. And, and dude, it's like a bag, mm-hmm. like a three-pound bag of chemo. And it's like lemon-lime Gatorade. And like he's peeing. And they put you on so much fluids because mm-hmm. you got to they want it to pass through and not like wear on your kidneys. So he's peeing every 30, 40 minutes. And it's the same color as the mm-hmm. fucking chemo. And... You know, you're in there for four, five, six days, dude. And you're just like waiting. And then it's another one of those like waiting around on bad results. Like you keep waiting because then, so they test his blood to see how the he's clearing the chemo and you want to mm-hmm. see it has to be at certain levels every step of the way to be able to go home. Mm-hmm. And, and if he doesn't make one count, you know you're in there for a couple more days. If he doesn't make one count, you know you're in there even longer. One time we were able to get in and out of there, but it took a long time to get out of there. So that's where I'm at with it today. Um, you know, what's, uh, some of the best advice you got while dealing with this with Jackson? I mean, best advice. I don't know about advice. I just know seeing other families Mm -hmm. struggling with a, a tougher leukemia Mm -hmm. and seeing them be positive. Cause you know, I'm always like the, woe is me? Like, why is this happening to me? Me, me? Well, it's happening to Jackson. Mm -hmm. You know, like, dude, I've seen this kid throw up like his, his hair never all the way came out, but he used to have this like full head of hair and it got so thin where you could see his scalp at one point. But mm-hmm. then it, it's like growing back now, even though he's still getting chemo. Mm-hmm. I think the next phase he's in, it could thin out a little bit, but he's, he hasn't lost it at all. Mm-hmm. Lost all of it. But you just see all the other kids going through way worse where they're like, like there's this one kid named Avery that was like staying next to us and he's seven, loves baseball. He had lost all his hair. It looked like he had a stroke. You know, like when someone has a stroke, it kind of like affects their yeah, lip, their, their mouth a yeah. little bit. He had that kind of like stroke look mm-hmm. with no hair. And he was so optimistic and happy to just be talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. It, it's so like, I don't want to say it's like corny, but like when you're in the outpatient and you see all these little kids, dude, mm-hmm. you're like, those are the real heroes in the world. Like those are like, those are the little soldiers. Like no one knows what these kids go through. Like, my son, luckily, has been able to go to baseball practice. I don't even know if, like, you know, most parents would take their kid to baseball. Mm-hmm. But we do. You know, it's, it's what he loves to do. He's not in school. It's like his social hour where he gets to feel like mm-hmm. he can express himself and do the thing he loves. Um, but, like, other families, I feel like I talked to some of the dads, and they're just like, they don't really know because they just see Jackson running around playing. Yeah. 
They don't know the extent. They don't know that he just got out of the hospital and all he wants to do is go to baseball practice. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just been being clean has had its like ups, but like all these things that I've gotten through would be close to impossible, if not deadly, if I was still using. Yeah, and it's like even if you were using this, would still have had happen. Yeah, you and know? I would go to like meetings in the beginning and always look for the differences. And my sponsor once told me, he's like, yo, don't always look for the differences. Look for where you can have like a common ground. Mm -hmm. And you know, like let's say someone, you hear a lot of like the older crowd saying mm -hmm. things like, if I wouldn't have got clean, I wouldn't have been able to been there for my parents before they were dying. Mm -hmm. You know, like when everyone gets old, instead of going to a nursing home, they're mm -hmm. taking care of them. And I'd like kind of check out because my parents weren't of that age. But then mm -hmm. if you look at it, you look at the similarities, you're like, if I wasn't clean i wouldn't be able to be there for jackson mm -hmm. taking care of him like yeah, he needs course. it if i wasn't clean you know so. what um how's your relationship with baby mom has it gotten closer or worse like oh. it's closer because we're in the hospital all the time mm -hmm. you know during this whole thing she separated from her husband i even separated from my wife for mm -hmm. three or four months it's like you know, I went through the time where she's like, you don't even care about me and your son, my baby boy. Because I'm like, all my effort and energy is going towards Jackson. Mm -hmm. So it like, it's a juggling act. And I'm running a business from home with a few mm -hmm. employees. The bills don't stop mm -hmm. when your kid gets chemo. The community had raised some money and it did help bridge the gap a little bit for mm -hmm. time that I would have otherwise been more productive and more lucrative, mm -hmm. right? So that helped. But... um their relationship with the mom is 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 good, but it gets very argumentative quick because mm -hmm. we're both like want the best for Jackson, but we look at things different. She's more like school is most important. I'm like baseball is most important. <laughs> She's more like baby him. I'm like, yo, mm -hmm. let's be let's toughen up, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but we we with the common goal is we both love Jackson, mm -hmm. you know. Um, separated the wife. We had split up for a few months. N didn't think we were getting back together. And she's just staying with her. She like left immediately and um, she got her own place. And it was like when he, she got her own place, it kind of clicked. I'm like, what am I doing? Hmm. You know, like I had my whole family, like everything. And this whole controversy with Jackson, all the shit I'm going through, like you just combine it all into one. And the fact that I'm a addict in recovery mm -hmm. and truth be told, like I'm not the best the only thing that I've ever really done successful in recovery is not use. Mm -hmm. I literally just finished step six mm. just now. And I need to ride that kind of wave because I remember I got steps one through five done in a few months. Mm -hmm. And then life got really good. I yeah. started being like a business owner, started making money, like thing, like the prestige mm -hmm. and material things became so important that I kind of took my eye off the ball. Mm -hmm. I used to love making coffee at plantation recovery mm -hmm. on friday nights and i'd buy cookies for everybody and i would set that table up like mm -hmm. and i would take pride in it and jackson would go with me mm -hmm. and that's how i met everybody that's how i stayed clean there's like that that corny saying like coffee makers make it like mm -hmm. it's true it's true like and the i coffee guy does not relapse and dude when they were, when it was time that like somebody else wanted to make the coffee i was like hell no <laughs> you are not fucking making the coffee here and then they're like yeah she's gonna make the coffee with you and you know what i realized not a lot of people stay around. Mm -hmm. Like there was this girl, I forget her name. She made it for like a couple months. Yeah. Not even. She was supposed mm -hmm. to meet me there one time to make it and she didn't make it that <clears> one time and they're supposed to be there another time and she never really came. So I was like, it's kind of hard to take the coffee maker away from me because people just relapse and mm -hmm. don't stick around or, or can't stick to a commitment. 
you know yeah. i've had a lot of friends like i, I want to like, do conti so bad i gotta figure out how to get back into well not figure out but it's hard for me because i did h and i for like 12 years mm-hmm. consistently h and i was like my thing and it's like now i travel so much i feel bad being like oh i can't do it this week because like when i did h and i dude i probably missed two mondays a year maybe maybe like very rare. for years 12 years you know what kind of h and i dude i did uh bark and then I did uh, the work release, and then I went back to Bark. And it's like, dude, that's a state-run place. I would see people I grew up with. Like, people know me from there. Like, dude, if you went to Bark, for years you're seeing me, you know? Yeah. And it's like, dude, it just felt so rewarding. And I just love getting speakers. And But the jail is my favorite. Jails and prison I don't know if, I, if with felonies, favorite. if you can get in. I'm sure you can. Oh, I don't have any, but it would be hard no, for you. No, I think that you can because I know that, like... I know people that have been to prison yeah, so who are able to go back. You need to, you just got to apply. It yeah. depends where your charges are. But yeah. yeah, bro, I mean, that was, to me, Nothing was like. was like violent or anything. Yeah, you might be able to get in. I did H&I for like a couple months. Mm-hmm. I went to the crossings, the crossroads. Mm-hmm. It's on Davy Road Extension, just mm-hmm. just south of Sterling on the east side. There's this little spot. It's like a detox. And I would go there on, I forget, Friday nights or Saturday mm-hmm. nights, whatever it was, every other Saturday or whatever it was. I did it with bringing meetings. I got a lot out of it. Yeah, everyone has their niche. Like some people are coffee people. Some people set up the meetings. Some people are area. Some people, are, you know, speaking was always tough. Yeah, for me, I could tell. Honestly, the most I've ever talked to you ever. And I, you know, to be honest with you, it's like it's so cool doing the podcast because if I would hear you speak at a meeting, I probably would know like a little bit more about you. But doing the podcast, it's so cool to like really hear your story. Yeah, I don't have like. I'm not like a man of few words when you were just talking, mm-hmm. but like when you give me like this, like thing, Platform. I felt like I was just talking the whole time. You know, I'm like, did I no, talk too cool, much? Cause like my cool. social anxiety kicks yeah. in and I'm like, fuck, I've been talking no, too much. Sometimes I feel like I talk too much, but you know, I just know how it feels on the other end. So like, sometimes I want to talk so the other person doesn't feel like it's just them talking. And I've maybe time. told my story three or four, two or three times. Wow. Really? Meeting. Like people don't really like, yeah, you're quiet. You're a quiet guy. Like I've had one guy ask me to sponsor him and like, I wasn't mm-hmm. able to give him what he probably deserved, and we like just kind of faded mm-hmm. away. Um, very rarely does someone ask me to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, I like being the chairperson. Mm-hmm. I've done that maybe five or six times in my five yeah, years because awesome. it, it makes it holds me accountable that I have to be at the meeting, mm-hmm. and I always try to take pride in who I get to speak. Of course, at a meeting because yeah. I like to bring a good lineup, mm-hmm. like 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 yeah, appreciate me it. and you connected mm-hmm. to this because I I asked you to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, I asked. Um, Ryan, mm-hmm. Ryan O, yeah, who's like, I know he's such a good high guy. energy pro. Like he's all tatted up, and mm-hmm. people are gonna listen to this guy yeah. when he's talking. Then the Carl, mm-hmm. who's more of a recover, been around for a mm-hmm. while, not you know like more talking about the recovery. And then mm-hmm. I bring Tony, mm-hmm. who's thirty, just celebrated thirty-seven years. Who's funny? He's yeah. funny while he talks. Mm-hmm. And then you, it was like a good roundabout, like mm-hmm. you know. And that's when you were like. You're probably like, well, podcast. if I'm going to speak, yeah. yo, you want to do the thing? The podcast. Yeah, dude. And it's like um, service is how you get to really meet people outside your comfort zone. Because when you do service, you start reaching out to people that you probably wouldn't reach out to, you know? And that makes me uncomfortable. Of course. Chatting after mm-hmm. the meeting. You know, like yeah. the meeting after the meeting. I know. I've gotten really bad at that. Sometimes I go to a meeting, I just go home. But there's times where it's like, dude, after the meeting was the most important part. I know. And then like when you see somebody and you're like, you, you, you make eye contact, know. And you know, they want to say hello and you just say... Sometimes you'll be like, hey, and just, just kind of like walk away. Or you'll just social. hug them and then you'll yeah. talk a little bit. And But then you're like, when's this conversation yeah. going to be over? It's interesting because it's like um, you just never know what people are going through. 
you know so it's like dude i had no idea that you're dealing with that with your son so it's like you know when you told me that i was like damn obviously like you know childhood cancer is like a big thing of mine and like yeah that's crazy man i appreciate you coming on the show no problem thanks for having I'm me i'm sure your story will touch and uh, affect a lot of people in a positive way for years and years and years so mm -hmm. like i was telling you earlier like the podcast is so dope because this is on the internet forever people can always search it and like uh your story is important it's relatable like you are like that young cool guy now you know so like yeah. people see it like damn you know like i could be like that you know yeah. so if you guys are listening like subscribe share it with your friends and thank you thanks appreciate bro. you seeking the truth never gets old Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.